0: chapter seven of the czar's spy by william Le this librivox recording is in the public domain contains a surprise the first object brought to light about two feet beneath the surface was a piece of dark grey woollen stuff which when the mould was removed proved to be part of a woman's skirt with frantic eagerness i got into the hole we had made and removed the soil with my hands until I suddenly touched something hard. A body lay there, doubled up and crushed into the well-like hole the men had dug. Together we pulled it out when, to my surprise, on wiping away the dirt from the hard waxen features, I recognized it as the body of Armida, the woman who had been my servant in Leghorn and who had afterwards married Olinto. Both had been assassinated. When Muriel gazed upon the dead woman's face, she gave vent to an expression of surprise. The body was evidently not that of the person she had expected to find. "'Who is she, I wonder?' my companion ejaculated. "'Not a lady, evidently, by her dress and hands.' "'Evidently not,' was my response, for I still deemed it best to keep my own counsel. I recollected the story Olinto had told me about his wife— of her illness and her longing to return to italy yet the dead woman's countenance must have been healthy enough in life although her hands were rough and hard showing that she had been doing manual labour armida had been a particularly good housemaid a black-haired black-eyed tuscan quick cleanly and full of keen sense of humour it was a great shock to me to find her lying there dead the breast of her dress was stained with dried blood which on examination i found had issued from a deep and fatal wound beneath the ear where she had been struck an unerring blow that had severed the artery those men those men who buried her i wonder who they were my companion exclaimed in a hushed voice we must follow them and ascertain they are certainly the murderers who have returned in secret and concealed the evidence of this second crime yes i said let us go after them they must not escape us then leaving the exhumed body beneath a tree i caught muriel by the waist and waded across the deep channel worn by the stream at that point after which we both ascended the steep bank where the pair had disappeared in the darkness of the wood I blamed myself a thousand times for not following them, yet my suspicions had not been aroused until after they had disappeared. The back of the man in a snuff-coloured suit was, she felt confident, familiar to her. She repeated what she had already told me, yet she could not remember where she had seen a similar figure before. We went on through the gloomy forest, for the light had faded and evening was now creeping on from time to time we halted and listened but there was a dead silence broken only by the shrill cry of a night bird and the low rustling of the leaves in the autumn wind the men knew their way it seemed even though the wood was trackless yet they had nearly twenty minutes start of us and in that time they might be already out in the open country would they succeed in evading us yet even if they did i could describe the dress of one of them while that of his companion was as far as i made out dark blue of a somewhat nautical cut he wore also a flat cap with a peak we went on striking straight for the open moorland which we knew bounded the woods in that direction and before the light had entirely faded we found ourselves out amongst the heather with the distant hills looming dark against the horizon but we saw no sign of the men who had so secretly concealed the body of their victim i will take you back to the castle miss leithcourt i said and then i'll drive on to dumfries and see the police these men must be arrested yes do she urged i will get into the house by the stable-yard for they must not see me in this terrible plight it was rough walking therefore at my invitation she took my arm and as she did so i felt that she was shivering you are very wet i remarked i hope you won't take cold oh i'm used to getting wet i drive and cycle a lot you know and very often get drenched was her reply then after a pause she said we must discover who that woman was she seems from her complexion and her hair to be a foreigner like the man "Uh, yes i think so was my reply I will tell the police all that we have found out, and they will go there presently and recover the body. If they can only find those two men, then we should know the truth, she declared. One of them, the one in brown, was unusually broad-shouldered, and seemed to walk with a slight stoop. You expected to discover another woman, did you not, Miss Leithcourt? I asked presently, as we walked across the moor. "'Yes,' she answered, "'I expected to find an entirely different person.' "'And if you had found her, it would have proved the guilt of someone with whom you are acquainted?' She nodded in the affirmative. "'Then what we have found this evening does not convey to you the identity of the assassins?' "'No, unfortunately it does not. We must for the present leave the matter in the hands of the police.' "'But if the identity of the dead woman is established,' I asked. "'It might furnish me with a clue,' she exclaimed quickly. "'Yes, try and discover who she is.' "'Who was the woman you expected to find?' "'A friend, a very dear friend.' "'Will you not tell me her name?' I inquired. "'No, it would be unfair to her,' she responded decisively, "'an answer which to me was particularly tantalizing.' on we plodded in silence our thoughts too full for words was it not strange that the mysterious yachtsman should be her lover and stranger still that on recognizing me he should have escaped not only from scotland but away to the continent was not that in itself evidence of guilt and fear it was quite dark when i took leave of my bright little companion who tired out and yet uncomplaining pressed my hand and wished me good fortune in my investigations i shall await you to-morrow afternoon call and tell me everything won't you i promised and then she disappeared into the great stable-yard behind the castle while i went on down the dark road and then struck across the open fields to my uncle's house at half-past nine that night i pulled up the dog-cart before the chief police station in dumfries and alighting at once sought the big fair highlander mackenzie with whom i had had the consultation on the previous day when we were seated in his room beneath the hissing gas-jet i related my adventure and the result of my investigation what he cried jumping up you've unearthed another body a woman's i have and what is more i can identify her i replied her name is armida and she was the wife of the murdered man olinto santini then both husband and wife were killed without a doubt a double tragedy but the two men who concealed the body will you describe them i did so and he wrote at my dictation afterwards remarking we must find them and calling in one of his sub inspectors He gave him instructions for the immediate circulation of the description to all the police stations in the county, saying the two men were wanted on a charge of willful murder. When the official had gone out again and we were alone, Mackenzie turned to me and asked, "'What induced you to search the wood? Why did you suspect a second crime?' His question nonplussed me for a moment. "'Well, you see, I had identified the young man, Olinto, and knowing him to be married and devoted to his wife, I suspected that she had accompanied him here. It was entirely a vague surmise. I wondered whether, if the poor fellow had fallen a victim to his enemies, she had not also been struck down.' His lips were pressed together in distinct dissatisfaction. I knew my explanation to be a very lame one, but at all hazards I could not import Muriel's name into the affair. I had given her my promise, and I intended to keep it. "'Then the body is still in the glen where you left it?' "'Yes, if you wish, I will take you to the spot. I can drive you and your assistant up there.' "'Certainly. Let us go,' he exclaimed, rising at once and ringing his bell.' get three good lanterns and some matches and put them in this gentleman's trap outside he said to the constable who answered his summons and tell gilbert campbell that i want him to go with me up to rannoch wood yes sir answered the man and the door again closed it's a pity a thousand pities mr gregg that you didn't stop those two men who buried the body they were already across the stream and disappearing into the thicket before i mounted the rock i explained besides at the moment i had no suspicion of what they had been doing i believed them to be stragglers from a neighbouring shooting party who had lost their way ah most unfortunate he said i hope they don't escape us if they're foreigners they are not likely to get away but if they're english or scots then i fear there's but little chance of us coming up with them "'Yesterday, at the inquest, the identity of the murdered man "'was strictly preserved, and the inquiry was adjourned for a fortnight.' "'Of course my name was not mentioned,' I said. "'Of course not,' was the detective's reply. "'Then he asked, "'When do you expect to get a telegram from your friend, the consul at Leghorn? "'I'm anxious for that, in order that we may commence inquiries in London.' "'The day after tomorrow, I hope.' he will certainly reply at once providing the dead man's father can still be found and at that moment a tall thin man who proved to be detective campbell entered and five minutes later we were all three driving over the uneven cobbles of dumfries and out into the darkness towards Rannoch. it was cloudy and starless with a chill mist hanging over the valley but my uncle's cob was a swift one and we soon began to ascend the hill up past the castle and then turning to the left drove along a steep rough by-road which led to the south of the wood and out across the moor when we reached the latter we all descended and i led the horse for owing to the many treacherous bogs it was unsafe to drive further so with mackenzie and campbell carrying lanterns we walked on carefully skirting the wood for nearly a mile until we came to the rough wall over which i had clambered with muriel i recognized the spot and having tied up the cob we all three plunged into the pitch darkness of the wood keeping straight on in the direction of the glen and halting every now and then to listen for the rippling of the stream at last with some difficulty we discovered it and searching along the bank with our three powerful lights I presently detected the huge moss-grown boulder whereon i had stood when the pair of fugitives had disappeared look i cried there's the spot and quickly we clambered down the steep bank lowering ourselves by the branches of the trees until we came to the water into which i waded being followed closely by my two companions on gaining the opposite side i clambered up to the base of the boulder and lowered my lantern to reveal to them the gruesome evidence of the second crime but the next instant i cried why it's gone gone gasped the two men yes it was here look this is the hole where they buried it but they evidently returned and finding it exhumed they've free-taken possession of it and carried it away the two detectives gazed down to where i indicated and then looked at each other without exchanging a word as we stood there dumbfounded at the disappearance of the body the highlander's quick glance caught something and stooping he picked it up and examined the little object by the aid of his lantern within his palm i saw lying a tiny little gold cross about an inch long enamelled in red while in the centre was a circular miniature of a kneeling saint an elegant and beautifully executed little trinket which might have adorned a lady's bracelet this is a pretty little thing remarked the detective it may possibly lead us to something but mr gregg he added turning to me are you quite certain you left the body here certain i echoed why look at the hole i made you don't think i have any interest in leading you here on a fool's errand do you not at all he said apologetically only the whole affair seems so very inconceivable. I mean that the men, having once got rid of the evidence of their crime, would hardly return to the spot and re-obtain possession of it. "'And thus they watched me exhume it, and feared the consequences if it fell into your hands,' I suggested. "'Of course they might have watched you from behind the trees, and when you had gone they came and carried it away somewhere else,' he remarked dubiously. "'But even if they did, it must be in this wood,' they would never risk carrying a body very far, and here is surely the best place of concealment in the whole country. The only thing remaining is to search the wood at daylight, I suggested. If the two men came back here during my absence, they may still be on the watch in the vicinity. Most probably they are. We must take every precaution, he said decisively. And then, with our lanterns lowered. We made an examination of the vicinity, without, however, discovering anything else to furnish us with a clue. While I had been absent, the body of the unfortunate Armida had disappeared, a fact which, knowing all that I did, was doubly mysterious. The pair had, without doubt, watched Muriel and myself, and as soon as we had gone they had returned and carried off the ghastly remains of the poor woman who had been so foully done to death but who were the men? The fellow with the broad shoulders whom Muriel recognized, and the slim seafarer in his pilot coat and peaked cap. The enigma each hour became more and more inscrutable. At dawn, Mackenzie, with four of his men, made a thorough examination of the wood, but although they continued until dusk, they discovered nothing, neither was anything heard of the mysterious seafarer and his companion in brown tweeds i called on muriel as arranged and explained how the body had so suddenly disappeared whereupon she stared at me pale-faced saying the assassins must have watched us they are aware then that we have knowledge of their crime of course i said ah she cried hoarsely then we are both in deadly peril peril of our own lives these people will hesitate at nothing both you and i are marked down by them without a doubt we must both be wary not to fall into any trap they may lay for us her very words seemed an admission that she was aware of the identity of the conspirators and yet she would give me no clue to them we went out and up the drive together to the kennels where her father a tall imposing figure in his shooting kit was giving orders to the keepers hullo gregg he cried merrily extending his hand "'You'll make one of a party to to tomorrow, won't you? Peyton and Phillips are coming. ten sharp here, and the ladies are coming out to lunch with us.' "'Thanks,' I said, accepting with pleasure, "'for by so doing I saw that I might be afforded an opportunity "'of being near Muriel. "'The fact that the assassins were aware of our knowledge "'seemed to have caused her the greatest apprehension "'lest evil should befall us. "'Then, as we turned away to go back to the house, "'Leithcourt said to me, you know all about the discovery up at the wood the other day. Horrible affair, a young foreigner found murdered. Yes, I've heard about it, I responded. And the police are worse than useless, he declared with disgust. They haven't discovered who the fellow is yet. Why, if it had happened anywhere else but in Scotland, they'd have arrested the assassin before this. He's an entire stranger, I hear, I remarked, and then added, you often go up to the wood of an evening after pigeons. It's fortunate you weren't there that evening, eh?' He glanced at me quickly, with his brows slightly contracted, as though he did not exactly comprehend me. In an instant I saw that my remark had caused him quick apprehension. "'Yes,' he answered, with a sickly smile, which he intended should convey to me utter unconcern. "'They might have suspected me.' It certainly is a disagreeable affair to happen on one's property, I said, still watching him narrowly, and then Muriel, at his side, managed with her feminine ingenuity to divert the conversation into a different channel. Next day I accompanied the party over to Glenlee, about five miles distant, and at noon, at a spot previously arranged, we found the ladies awaiting us with luncheon spread under the trees as soon as we approached muriel came forward quickly handing me a telegram saying that it had been sent over by one of my uncle's grooms at the moment they were leaving the castle i tore it open eagerly and read its contents then turning to my companions said in as quiet a voice as i could command i must go up to london to-night whereat the men one and all expressed hope that i should soon return Leithcourt's party were a friendly set and at heart i was sorry to leave scotland yet the telegram made it imperative for it was from frank hutcheson and leghorn and read made inquiries olito santini married your servant armida an italian consulate-general in london about a year ago they live sixty four b albany road camberwell he is employed waiter ferrari's restaurant westbourne grove british consulate leghorn the lunch was a merry one as shooting luncheons usually are and while we ate the keepers packed our morning bag a considerable one into the perth cart in waiting then when we could wander away alone together i explained to muriel that the reason of my sudden journey to london was in order to continue my investigations regarding the mysterious affair this puzzled her for i had not of course revealed to her that i had identified olinto yet i managed to make such excuses and promises to return that i think i allayed all her suspicions and that night after calling upon the detective mackenzie i took the sleeping-car express to euston the restaurant which Hutchison had indicated was i found situated about half-way up westburn grove nearly opposite whiteley's a small place where confectionery and sweets were displayed in the window, together with long-necked flasks of Italian chianti, chump-chops, small joints, and tomatoes. It was soon after nine o'clock when I entered the long shop with its rows of marble-topped tables and greasy lounges of red plush. An unhealthy-looking lad was sweeping out the place with wet sawdust, and a big, dark-bearded, flabby-faced man in shirt-sleeves stood behind the small counter, polishing some forks. "'I wish to see Signor Ferrari,' I said, addressing him. "'There is no Ferrari. He is dead,' responded the man in broken English. "'My name is Odinsov. I bought the place from Madame.' "'You are Russian, I presume?' "'Polish, monsieur, from Varsovie.' I had seen from the first moment we had met that he was no Italian. He was too bulky and his face too broad and flat. I have come to inquire after a waiter you have in your service, an Italian named Santini. He was my servant for some years, and I naturally take an interest in him. Santini, he repeated, oh, you mean Olinto. He is not here yet. He comes at ten o'clock. This reply surprised me. I had expected the restaurant-keeper to express regret at his disappearance, yet he spoke as though he had been at work as usual on the previous day. May I have a liqueur brandy? I asked, seeing that I would be compelled to take something. Perhaps you will have one with me? Ach, oh, no, but a kummel. Yes, I will have a kummel. And he filled our glasses and tossed off his own at a single gulp, smacking his lips after it, for the average russian dearly loves his national decoction of caraway seeds you find olinto a good servant i suppose i said for want of something else to say excellent the italians are the best waiters in the world i am russian but dare not employ a russian waiter these english would not come to my shop if i did i looked around and it struck me that the trade of the place mainly consisted in chops and steaks for chance customers at midday and tea and cake for those swarms of women who each afternoon buzz around that long line of windows of the world's provider i could see that his was a cheap trade as revealed by the printed notice stuck upon one of the long fly-blown mirrors ices fourpence and sixpence how long has olinto been with you i inquired about a year perhaps a little more i trust him implicitly and I leave him in charge when I go away for holidays. He does not get along very well with the cook, who is Milanese. These Italians from different provinces always quarrel, he added, laughing. If you live in Italy, you know that, no doubt. I laughed in chorus, and then glancing at my watch said, I'll wait for him if he will be here at ten. I'd much like to see him again. The Russian was by no means nonplussed, but merely remarked, he is late sometimes but not often he lives on the other side of london over at camberwell his confidence that the waiter would return struck me as extremely curious nevertheless i possessed myself in patience strolled up and down the restaurant and then stood watching the traffic in the grove outside the man odinsoff seemed a quick hard-working fellow with a keen eye to business for he fell to polishing the top of the marble tables with pail and brush, at the same time directing the work of the pallid-looking youth. Suddenly a side door opened and the cook put his head in to speak with his master in French. He was a typical Italian, about forty, with dark moustaches turned upwards and an easy-going, careless manner. Seeing me, however, and believing me to be a customer, he turned and closed the door quickly in that instant i noticed the high broadness of his shoulders and his back struck me as strangely similar to that of the man in brown whom we had seen disappearing in Rannoch wood the suspicion held me breathless was this russian endeavouring to deceive me when he declared that olinto would arrive in a few minutes it seemed curious for the man now dead must i reflected have been away at least four days Surely his absence from work had caused the proprietor considerable inconvenience. "'That was your cook, wasn't it, the Milanese, who was quarrelsome?' I laughed when the side door has closed. "'Yes, monsieur, but Emilio is a very good workman, and very honest, even though I had constantly to complain that he uses too much oil in his cooking. These English do not like the oil.' I stood in the doorway again, watching the busy throng passing outside towards Royal Oak. Ten o'clock struck from a neighbouring church, and I still waited, knowing only too well that I waited in vain for a man whose body had already been committed to the grave outside that far away old Scotch town. But I waited in order to ascertain the motive of the bearded Russian in leading me to believe that the young fellow would really return. Presently Odinsov went outside, carrying with him two boards, upon which the menu of the Eightpenny Luncheon This Day was written in scrawly characters, and proceeded to affix them to the shop front. This was my opportunity, and quick as thought, I moved towards where the unhealthy youth was at work, and whispered, I'll give you half a sovereign if you'll answer my questions truthfully. Now tell me, was the cook, the man I've just seen here yesterday? Yes, sir. Was he here the day before? No, sir. He's been away ill for four days. And your master? He's been away too, sir. I had no time to put any further question, for the Russian re-entered at that moment, and the youth busied himself rubbing the front of the counter in pretense that I had not spoken to him indeed i had some difficulty in slipping the promised coin into his hand at a moment when his master was not looking then i paced up and down the restaurant waiting patiently and wondering whether the absence of emilio had any connection with the tragedy up in Rannoch wood while i stood there a rather thin respectably dressed man entered and seating himself upon one of the plush lounges at the further end removed his bowler hat and ordered from the proprietor a chop and a pot of tea. Then, taking a newspaper from his pocket, he settled himself to read, apparently oblivious to his surroundings. And yet, as I watched, I saw that over the top of his paper he was carefully taking in the general appearance of the place, and his eyes were keenly following the Russian's movements. The latter shouted, in French, the order for the chop through the speaking-tube to the man Emilio, and then returning to his customer he spread out a napkin and placed a small cruet with knife fork and bread before him but the customer seemed immersed in his paper and never looked up until after the russian's back was turned then so deep was his interest in the place and so keen those dark eyes of his that the truth suddenly dawned upon me mackenzie had telegraphed to scotland yard and the customer sitting there was the detective who had come to investigate i had advanced at the counter to chat again with the proprietor when a quick step behind me caused me to turn before me stood the slim figure of a man in a straw hat and a rather seedy black jacket dio signor padrone he cried i staggered as though i had received a blow olinto santini in the flesh smiling and well, stood there before me. End of chapter 7